Mr. Crusher, set course for Starbase A. You're adorable. B, you're so beautiful. C, you're a cutie full of charm. It's fun to wander through the alphabet with you to tell you what you mean to engage. everybody and welcome back to the latest episode of Spotlight. Today we are doing a very special episode in terms of one of my favourite aspects of Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation, which I think solidified my love of Star Trek and I think it may be quite important to a lot of people here today. Who um, are you? Who am I? I am. Paul <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paul Wilson. And that was Matt. Hello. Brothers, I was going to get around to you. Okay. This is Liam, the <laughs> other co-host of Spotlight, uh, where we discover... Star Trek from a non-Trekkie's perspective. Yeah, that's right. And today, Which I'll... Paul's just ruined by saying that he always loved Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly this one. <laughs> More than he loves his own name. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we have two special guests with us today. Um, would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, uh, this is Steve Trumbull, uh, returning. Uh, happy to be back. Yeah, you've been on before, haven't you? You were here with us to discuss First Contact. First Contact. A TNG-based film. Yes. And also comedy of track as well. Yeah. We talked about it with you. What have you been up to since then, uh, Eve, in oh. the world of stand-up comedy? Uh, well, I, I've, I've done my 200th gig. Wow. So that's uh, almost a year. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, th- thanks for asking me who I am before Sean. That makes me feel great. <laughs> if I had to come second, it would have been interesting. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, uh, it's just uh, going well, I guess. Uh, finally, have like a kind of presence on the net and stuff. And, and were you not a semi finalist in the New Comedian of the Year? I was a semi finalist in the New Comedian of the Year. Tell us about that. Uh, it's a competition, and I managed to get to the semi-final. It this is done through the Leicester Square Theatre, isn't it? Which yes, people it is. know from uh, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Mm-hmm. It's uh, another really big podcast like ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. We, I didn't, I didn't get to, to step foot in the the theatre. That was where the final was. They did. You're not allowed inside. All, all, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to win it to get in. <laughs> all hours were at the uh, the Museum of Comedy, which is a wonderful venue. Um, ah, I've been there. Wonderful times. place. Really nice. Yeah, really, really great place. Yeah. Um, Und- and underneath the church, isn't it? Or is it a church? The old it's, yeah, church yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's right near the museum. The, yeah, the British but lots of little knickknacks, isn't it? Yeah, like fezzes and yeah. Old skulls from young Frankenstein and stuff. It's it's a lovely, lovely, beautiful place. Yeah, it was great fun, great fun. Competitions are always like horrible because you know you find yourself up against your friends and then the people who you think are going to be the people who are like a risk. Who you're like, oh, I don't want to be up against that guy. Like that guy won't go through either. And it's just like, and like I, I always find that 
it, the worst your worst feeling isn't when you lose it's when you start thinking you're going to win or that you can win it's, it's, it's a, a horrible emotion no no comedian likes competition well the lesson here is have no friends exactly yes. <laughs> yeah. so I'm already way ahead starting a podcast is a good way to start. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no congratulations for that Thanks, that's man. really good because you, it's your first time out doing anything like that wasn't yeah, it yeah. so yeah no big achievement and um, to get through that far and you know, mm. hopefully, maybe next year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. to, tonight I'm going straight back to London and I'm going to do the the Max Turner competition as well. So okay. it's like it's, a, it's just a regular slog for for comedians, and it's just something that we do. And if if we do well, it looks good on an Edinburgh poster. So it's a pragmatism thing, and it's it's obviously feels great as well. Awesome, man. Well, talking about Edinburgh, Sean, I believe that you've done quite a lot of Edinburgh shows at this point yes you, you just done your six my fifth right? hour fifth hour yeah uh, in a row and I've been up a few years before doing other stuff um, yeah I'm sort of uh, it's that's my life now I do stand up comedy it's my living which is lucky the slog never ends awesome you know the competition mentality never really goes mm. um, but yeah I now build my year around doing those Edinburgh fringe shows and Hopefully performing them a few times. Like you, you come to see me in. I did one in Brighton. I came recently. to see you in Brighton, where the first hour you did a kind of best of of all your mm. previous shows, and then the second hour you did your latest yeah. Edinburgh show. It was very, very good. Thank you. Uh, starting to, I mean, five in a row feels a lot. <laughs> it feels too much. An hour a year is, is a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, but. Um, and so I don't know how many more years in a row I've got left, but uh, yeah, that's that's who I am. And I'm pleasure to be here. Big fan of the show. That's you're next generation you're talking about. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it's a pleasure to be here talking about my Edinburgh show. <laughs> Big fan. I believe you recently supported Ricky Gervais on tour, is that right? Yeah, I've done a bit for him uh, on his current tour, Humanity. Um, I sort of was the the second support act. So whenever right. the main guy couldn't do it, I would get called in. Right, uh, okay. Still fine, happy to understand. Yeah. And uh, yeah, quite, I mean, surreal, but a very brilliant How did that experience. come about? Uh, like most things in show business, kind of random connections. We had, I had an agent for Related. a Related. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I am, I'm his biological grandson. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> that can't I mean that's not he is old enough uh, well, yeah. it's not for me to speculate but um, keep sending the fibres in the birthday cards it's like this great expectations <laughs> yes um, no he, I had an I had an agent who had worked with him a lot in the past and when he was previewing this show he was using other comedians and one of those comedians pulled out and on the day I came in and did some new material when he was doing new material and then I uh, we sort of got on and then he needed someone to open for him doing a couple of David Brent live shows last year oh okay and I did those and they were great and then so you know for for the current stand-up tour he's just occasionally needed someone other than his usual support who's Doc Brown who's brilliant mm -hmm. uh, and it's been great I mean it's it's been a fantastic experience it's great on the CV as you know yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. this game's about um, it's totally not representative of my life or my <laughs> career. You know? But it's so wholesome that you met him through like gigging with him though, like doing new material on the same night. That's yeah, weird. Way to be a comedian and like out of mutual like, oh, I like your stuff. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean? yeah. It was great, and it kind of the first time we sort of were working together, it sort of sufficed that we had about twenty-five minutes or half an hour just with, just alone with each other, and um, 
What can I say? He's a really nice guy, and it's it's, it's been a real treat. Um, and I'm going to miss the money. <laughs> <laughs> so was that tour uh, UK or Europe? I know it, it took it quite far. It was, was that all around the world? I did UK dates and uh -huh. a few European dates. Oh, which oh, was wow. a, it was a yeah, it was yeah. a dream really. And what's um, uh, what's like comedy venues like abroad? Because I always find like seeing music gigs and things. It's always kind of the same no matter where you are. Yeah, it's the yeah. same. Yeah. Um it felt actually uh the abroad ones were I, I don't know whether it's just because we were flying over there ourselves mm. and it felt bigger for us, but um it did feel like the crowds were so on board over there. Because I think it's just a bigger it's a big deal for places like Copenhagen and Berlin. You know, these are places he'd never been and yeah. you know, we went to Iceland which was pretty amazing and it was just you know, it's Whatever happens in my career or lack of career moving forward, I'll always, you know, I'll always, always be able to look at that. I'll always have Reykjavik. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cool place, man. It is a cool it's place. Really cool yeah, place. yeah, I like, like it a lot. Um, have you got Izard like ambitions to perform your shows in foreign languages? I'd love to. I did. Um, I've done a well, understand the heckles. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this guy's saying not funny. I wonder what that is in English. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I'd love to. I mean, it's any chance you get to travel, because I never travelled as a young younger person. Um, I sort of was doing stand-up since I was a student. I sort of mm. was kind of obsessed with it. And I always regretted not being able to travel. Um, and so any chance I get to do that, doing this, is, is, is incredible, really. And uh, I have been places I never would have gone, and I've been to many places that I would never like to go. <laughs> but, but any chance I can yeah. get to do it, I've, you know, I've done shows. I did hour-long shows in... Uh, in the Netherlands and I've done some in Belgium so it is occasionally awesome. you do that but um, it feels like there's a hunger for stand-up in in Europe so mm, okay. and we're very lucky because they don't have any comedians yet and it's nice to travel like you say for something you love doing because most people kind of get travel times in to run away from work yeah absolutely <laughs> I mean it's yeah what can I say I've been so lucky the last couple of years I don't know if it will last but um you know, I guess you just you grab the opportunities when they come. How long have you been doing this now? I've been doing stand-up for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I started at uni. I'm now 30 years old. Um, sort of when I moved back down to Brighton in 2009, I started taking it really seriously. So about, about a decade in total and about eight or nine years properly. Um, but it's you know it's a, it's such a slog, mm. and I never I mean I never did it well in any of the competitions or anything like that, and so I think I look at that semi final I would have killed for that oh, wow. <laughs> you know when I was going like early but uh, I don't know yeah it's um, what can I say it's good awesome man yeah. and we always run through people's cast Star Trek credentials when we have them on the show obviously we know that Steve is a big fan. Uh, what about yourself, like in terms of uh, your relationship with Star Trek? When did you first get into it? How big a fan are you? Well, The Next Generation was my gateway in, as it was for mm -hmm. a lot of people, I think. I was sort of, because uh, well, it ended in 94, I was born in 87. Um, the day I was born was the 3rd of October 97, which is the day that the first episode after the pilot was ever broadcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's sort of in the stars, I suppose. It's like we yeah. have The Next Generation here with us. I know, I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think I just I used to watch it I, it was like Thursday nights on BBC Two it used to be mm. on and I'd, mm. I'd watch it with my mum and 
I thought it was amazing. I, I always thought it was amazing, and then uh, I started watching the films a lot. Were they on VHS from your grandma? No, they weren't. That's, that's the main way in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, seem to I seem to remember them being on TV a lot, yeah. like right, the yeah. films. I remember First Contact being mm. quite a big deal when that was on TV, and uh, uh, and then you know from that I started watching DS9 and the original series films, and I gained a working knowledge of the others. Um, <laughs> so I'd say I'm a pretty big fan. I wouldn't say I love it all because yeah. a lot of it is objectively so bad. Your Star Trek <laughs> yeah. blind spots, like you, what would you say? Like, <clears throat> really? I mean, um, Voyager. I don't know everything. Mm. I sort of know what they used to play on Channel Five that I would watch. Um, Enterprise. I don't think I've. I've seen, I think I've watched one full episode or maybe right. two full episodes. I randomly ended up on E4 in the morning, or you know T4. Sorry. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's a strange programming, <laughs> like between Hollyoaks omnibus. It, it feels like a real, um, a real bizarre point in the history of the franchise. Enterprise. Mm. Um, I mean, I've got friends who who said that there's some really good stuff there. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll take their word for it. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to wait until our Enterprise episode uh, with our previous guest Greg Locke, who's coming back. To champion that. Good um, grief. I mean, he's he, he, he seems it. to make <laughs> he's a real good yeah, champion. Yeah, a career of championing yeah. the uh, lesser loved aspects of the Starship universe. He came on to talk about Final Frontier. Okay. Yes, essentially, because Matt and I ended up loving that film as well. Paul still thinks we're all crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's going to come back to talk about Enterprise, so we'll have a, you know, he's yeah. really going to be fighting his corner. I mean, when it came, he was the only person I could think of. I was like, there's no one out there who likes Enterprise more than Greg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Including the cast of Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, but my only problem with Enterprise was that, like, everything I saw documentary where they were talking about what it was going to be like before mm. I saw it and what they led me to believe it was going to be like is actually a lot closer to what Star Trek Discovery is now with yeah, like, yeah. it being a little grittier and like the uh, you know the idea that like you know the captain might be a little bit uh, you know not necessarily perfect and, like, yeah. and I, I wanted it to be Das Boot in space that's what I thought, I, thought <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, I, I wanted a character to die every week but not because of Klingons but because a pipe broke yeah. <laughs> and, and in German yeah, and, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Uh, when everyone would have beards Jürgen Prochnow style by the end <laughs> and then when they get back to Spaceport they all die anyway yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. that's what they needed it to be and it, it wasn't by, by like episode 3 they were holding like film nights and stuff like yeah. it was just another pleasure cruise in space I didn't, <laughs> didn't like that at all well as Paul said we're here today to talk about Star Trek The Next Generation as we did with our original series episode we're going to talk about the pilot of the show to give some context encounter at Far Point and then Sean and Steve have both picked episodes for us to watch, which we're going to keep quiet about for now, um, that they think will convince us to go on and watch the uh, rest of the series, or at least more of it. Um, but we're going to start with Encounter at Far Point. Uh, guys, first impressions. Matt, you'll probably be the only one of us who's never <clears throat> seen this one before. Yeah, so this will be kind of like having just flipped through TV and seeing these guys on Channel 4 BBC or whatever it was back in the day so the movies those four movies for me with those guys was the proper introduction to who they were and what they were about and as I said like most of those movies for me was just trying to work out how they compared to the original crew and what they were all doing there and kind of who they were and I said you know Generations has such a bizarre entry point for people who don't yeah. know what they're about mm -hmm. but then seeing this I thought no it was kind of a perfect introduction because they do the same bloody stuff it's like, <laughs> it's like just all holodeck all the time so there were a lot of costumes um, which show up in the later episodes we'll talk about um, but I realised just how 
you know, this how iconic this new theme tune is, because I'd gotten so used to the old one again. Hearing this was just like, well, I instantly know this, and this is the Star Trek that I always, always thought was. Mm. Um, and yeah, Picard, he's got a great entrance, much like Kirk's mm. return in Wrath of Khan. Yeah, Star Trek the Shadows. Yeah, yeah, it's nice <laughs> yeah, really and nice. I, I kind of, I liked how they were introduced everybody bit by bit, and I think my main takeaway as a first impression from the pilot was just how much I hate the bridge <laughs> including those annoying recliner seats which do disappear I don't know how quickly mm. they, they changed that design but I was like why is everyone just lounging around it's like an 80s Ikea set is <laughs> <laughs> this carpet and beige walls I hate they it don't get rid of those seats no, the 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 ones at the front that date are. On oh, the they, other they, they're a bit more upright. They go yeah. upright again. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was like, why are they just super chill? Just like, yeah, I'm just mm. flying the ship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, work shouldn't be relaxing. <laughs> but um, but I did like they don't how. Even get paid. <laughs> why are you being so hard? No stool for like the security officer. Yeah, like, it's yeah. Like, yeah. you so can stand. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I did like how the episode was setting up. It's kind of like testing this new crew. Like the idea that a, a massive powerful being shows up straight away and says we're kind of testing humanity now and see how you're doing it's almost like here's the gauntlet are you guys you know you're representing humanity but you're also following in a legacy of what the fans know as the previous crew and what they all did how will you be uh, measure up yeah and I, I like how that unfolds. Yeah, no, because you've got to, you're proving it to Q and the audience at this point. Yeah, yeah. Q's very much a crazy audience yeah. member just coming and being like, right, I know what you're about. Do you know yeah. what you're about? Show yeah. me. Yeah. I'm, I'm about to get into specifics about like what was revealed about the Farpoint Station. Do you think this was enough of a test? Because he says, you know, he says this will be very testing and trying for you. But well, the, oh, at the end, it's like, you know, oh, it was too easy. Like, you know, yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, 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 he's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's upset at the end that Should they invested him. have a quick synopsis? Yeah, summarise. episode really about well that could be quite hard I remember hearing that it was going to be one episode and then the studio said oh make it two hours make it two right, hours so um, it was originally just going to be the station I think and then they right. threw the cue bit in so it's almost like two episodes well, that's right. that they'd planned and they just threw them together but in a way that makes it a lot better than it would have been if it mm. just been yeah, that's true. go to weird station where they can get everything yeah. they want mm. ooh Crusher's got a new blouse and it's made out of something really <laughs> interesting and it's magic and it turns out to be a weird thing at the end and it's like it's so much more interesting if there's also this yeah. other B-plot it definitely felt like a trip to fabric land um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but it's I think yeah the plot is that the Enterprise is going to Farpoint Station to pick up the remainder of its uh, crew because it's the new ship and there's a few uh, key areas of personality filling in like Commander Riker um, at the station it's quite a, a new one and there seems to be like a bit of mystery about how it's that advanced that quickly it shouldn't really, really be what it is so there's a kind of a bit of a question about what how it got to be that point but on the way they are uh, accosted by marvelant super being Q who uh, wants to put humanity on trial for its crimes and says they're barbaric they haven't really moved on at all Picard disagrees vehemently and says <laughs> that he will um, uh, have be, so he'd be on trial it's either that or be destroyed so Picard does manage to manoeuvre the crew into a situation where they can prove themselves because Q is pretty much going to like condemn them um, so that's there's two, two plot lines really it's um, the first episode is very heavy on the Q stuff kind of setting that up and the second half is more about the mystery of Farpoint station and how the crew respond to that and actually meet each other for the first time that, would that yeah I mean I'd say it's interesting Steve saying about how this was almost two separate episodes and it does come across like that because the Q thing it makes sense that it came in later because it does come across like a framing device mm-hmm. for the story just kind of like there was already the far point thing and then they just went right bring Q in and make it so that this first mission was meant to be a test 
But like he <laughs> says, there's nothing within that mission where you go, no, were they really yeah. tested? And, you know, <laughs> a lot of the time, you know, th- there's a bit where Picard is doing his captain's log and he says, because they've got like 24 hours to prove themselves, and he says, oh, we're 11 hours into, you know, our test for Q. And I was like, you haven't fucking done it. <laughs> I was just like, we're not doing very well. Like, you, know, you literally have yeah. done fuck all. Like, 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 yeah. Ultimately, it was really just a really good test of Deanna Troy's uh, empathic range. Oh, God. Yes. How, yeah. how far out? Yeah. Don't get me fucking started on that. That's my Surely biggest... Surely not a fan of This Troy. is my biggest problem with the pilot. And the pilot, I must say, I like a lot more... Mm. It was much better than I remember it being, watching mm. it. Um, I think um, Deanna I do think you get thrown in totally at the deep end Mm. with this Mm -hmm. you come on there's all these things happening Picard is introduced I guess Data is a little bit Mm. but even then the character is not really defined he's strong I think he's strong I think in my my opinion he had the least clunky scene with Riker in the holodeck where they're talking about the fact that he's a machine I thought that was the best acted I thought that was really good mm. um, apart from the very on the nose bit where he goes I'd give it all up to be human and I thought well let's you know <laughs> okay, that's okay. a bit yeah it's a bit on the nose but um but also he's, he's like Spock we see the first time we see Spock there's like facial expressions that he would have dialed back on later on uh, absolutely so I think he does some sort of grin and sort mm. of like he's a bit childlike and that he would underplay that a lot more later on but totally yeah. I mean the, the first shot I notice uh, that you see him it's kind of like an overview of the bridge and he is at his station at the front and he actually stretches his fingers yeah. and you think that is unthinkable that he Ew. would do that later on that's I mean it's as if he would, somebody else would have to do it and he'd copy it yeah yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That, I guess I, that's the justification I, I noticed that yeah. and the only thing that occurred to me was when I made a film back in film school and I let my brother be an extra in the background because he's in the back of shot and he was just trying to steal the take by doing something <laughs> just like just arrogantly like oh, yeah, I think my brother just ruffled his hair for no reason yeah. and I was like Right, we're going to do another take, and if you do something else, I'm get, I'm throwing you off. So. <laughs> you know, that's what Brent Spiner was thinking. It's time for the old finger trick. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, I'm getting into this yeah. scene somehow. Yeah. Um, There's another Yul Brynner and Steve McQueen sort of situation, and of course we have a bald captain sort of. <laughs> but I also think the big thing is the initial any sort of turmoil and the initial kind of reveal of of Q or, or what's happening with these basically strangers is this woman, Troy, who no one knows, inexplicably going, I feel something powerful. I mean, we don't know what she is. We don't know <laughs> no what's going on. <laughs> and I also, I mean, I kind of have a problem with her as a character anyway. Um, I think it just goes so heavy when that early. Mm. And then, I don't know. And then, I mean, but I guess it is palatable to people who haven't seen it. And maybe that's me nitpicking. It, you know? She is... I would say on back that probably the weakest actress of the lot. Did I say that? But I think it's. I think she's Marina Curtis. Please come on the show anytime. Yeah. I think she's given the the weakest material to work with. Yeah, yeah, I think I. Yeah, she's she's they're kind of onto a loser with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But she has to do a lot in this episode in terms of like, you know, the expressing the emotional mm. the the being that turns out to be mm. sort of trapped in Farpoint mm. Station. Mm. That um, and that's quite you know hard to get across. <laughs> the fact. It's very kind of dodgy in the second uh, you yeah. know when she's crying and it's like yeah. great yeah. pain. You're just being like, oh god. A feeling of great joy and gratitude. 
Yeah. I think it's, it's cringy. You just yeah. you know, seething in the back of shots sometimes. Just <laughs> well, like, just like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this thing, like, Patrick Stewart didn't unpack his bag and probably would be easier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, with but, that. But I think that's the problem with the whole telepathic trope because I remember I it always, every single telepathic character I've ever seen in any fiction always goes straight back to Forrest Whitaker in Species with me, <laughs> where he's like, he's been tapped by, like, everyone's been tapped by the government to find this alien. And they'll go into a place where the alien has ripped a guy's spine out through his back <laughs> and, and there's blood like all over the walls like monkey shit and then Forrest Whitaker could be like she's angry it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think she probably is yeah. well this is exactly it to be fair I mean watching these episodes I, I don't really think it's Marina Sirtis's fault I think no. she's a kind of problematic character to Absolutely. begin with like you know it's just a it's just a really odd idea and it, they don't seem to know what to do. About well, it's because they. In there's another thing. It's like those who get Gene Romney's vision of like them all working together. The writers went out of their minds trying to come up with conflict. They were told not to hurt, create conflict between yeah, the characters. Yeah. They all yeah. get along fine. <clears throat> so <clears throat> for a counselor, she's pretty much like out of, out of a job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, she's there. I mean, there's no PTSD. <laughs> Thank God for Barclay. Because uh, <laughs> she made a yeah. career off that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's probably got a whole thesis about yeah. it. Um, but yeah, it was just um, there, yeah. There's no kind of like. Uh, sort of emotional work to do with the people it's like well that was a very interesting ambition even though <laughs> yeah. everyone almost died let's go on to the next one <laughs> um, so yeah it's kind of this is the only thing she's got mm. is sort of acting for the aliens I mean I yeah. find the, the casting here is a bit of like like a miracle really because I don't know how you get somebody like Sir Patrick Stewart like was he ever thinking well, he wasn't like, a sir at the time I know I know but was he thinking like like you say with his bags being packed like he must have been just going what am I doing here he was like, um, he I'm... was performing Shakespeare in or he was reading something in LA when they were made casting this mm. show and I think a couple of the producers saw him and said, this is the guy. Gene Roddenberry was the one who needed the most convincing because he mm. was convinced the actor should be French. <laughs> he was convinced. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is a masterstroke. I do think in the early episodes, Patrick Stewart, and in this pilot, I think he frankly carries the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I think he kind of gives it a gravitas that it doesn't earn. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, he's acting brilliantly. For you know, He sells yeah. everything. He sells mm. at data when data's not quite data yet. Yeah, you yeah. know, his reactions to that. Mm. But it's interesting that we talk about this kind of non-conflict uh, mandate that Roddenberry had, because really Picard, I think, is quite different in character in this to how he'd later become. Like he's quite an asshole in this. Mm. Like he's mm. quite he's quite dysfunctional. And like you that. kind of think that, that. that later on he wasn't really like that. I think it's um, an arc. Or, or as much. I, own, I view that as an arc. It's the only kind of like really similar arc, but other than Data, I suppose, mm. of mm. all the of all the characters. Because in, even in the movies, Picard's moving on. He's not the same Picard he yeah. was at the beginning. Like doesn't like kids. Yeah. You know, he really makes the thing he's not a family person. And I think he becomes, in certainly in the final episode of the series, part of a family. So yeah. I think that's yeah. you get to see that beginnings here. Yeah. And it's, it's no accident that the last episode goes back to this episode. He go, he finds himself shifting backwards and forwards in time, so he gets up back at Farpoint that mission. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's like it's meant to highlight how much he's changed. So and, it's, it's not necessarily that he's acting out of character. I think. Yeah. And and any any complaints I have about this pilot, and I do have a lot, maybe more than the rest. Of the <laughs> but um, I do think it is always going to be justified because it. It is a precursor to the finale, mm. which is arguably the highlight of the entire show. I think mm. it's such a great ending. Mm. Um, this is all good things, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that really comes back round, yeah. does it? Mm. Like a full circle star. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, so what what did we think of this? Were you won over, Matt? By well, it's this funny saying uh, as it's function as a pilot again, coming in, if all you've seen is the original stuff, it does pretty little to set up the fact that this is the same ship, but you know, where's this new crew and all come from? And um, having, uh, oh, like the Klingon on the bridge and stuff, like there's mm. now Klingons in Starfleet. Right. I can imagine an old school fan seeing it and being like, well, well when did this happen? Like, yeah. you could explain this. I mean, I don't know if it comes out later on, but mm. the, mm. you know, the, the, the small snippets of information they give you up front kind of works against and for it, where it makes it seem like this is new and fresh and mm. yeah. interesting. And like, I don't quite see where all these people fit in, but I'm, you know, I'll trust that we'll find out. And then at the same time, also it's like, yeah, what is happening here? Why is there random counsellors and kids yeah, and yeah. all this sort of stuff? Yeah. So. Well, yeah, because in terms of context, this was aired in 1987, this came out. Yeah, so, so right this is the Voyage year Home, after right? Voyage Home, isn't it? Voyage yeah. Home is 86. Mm. So, from if we think about Voyage Home, <clears throat> that does still seem like quite a leap, doesn't it, from Voyage Home to this? Mm. In terms yeah, with of no explanation, well, it's, it's an undiscovered country that they make peace with the Klingons, so, which yeah. is so like suddenly they're four years on the bridge. Yeah, it, it's remarkable how little the Wharf character is explained. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it is, I mean, apparently it was a very late addition to the cast anyway, mm. Wharf. Right. But I think that is maybe the most glaring omission mm. of the episode. That's a but, big but, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the mainstay villain is now yeah. part of you, and, and some fans might have just gone, oh, I can see how if Starfleet's mm. whole thing is making peace with everyone, that they would have got there eventually. And this mm. is a shortcut way to show that we're in the right. future. Yeah, back but in the still, 60s, yeah. they had a Russian on the bridge. And they yeah, had yeah. A now they've got a Well, no, no, but they didn't explain that. They didn't, they didn't feel like they needed to right. explain why Chekhov was on the bridge. Mm. So why would they need to explain why Worf is on the bridge? Right. On a utopian okay. level, I kind of dig that. Yeah, Yeah. no, I see what you mean. It would have rubbed um, everyone the wrong way in the Cold mm. War era, yeah. yeah. It's funny you saying about it being a late addition, because that would make sense in the sense of Worf and Tasha Yar. Mm. Um, is it, it Tasha yeah, Tashia. Um they're basically fulfilling the same role because yeah. they're both security well, he officers. He replaces her once she uh, spoilers uh, uh, doesn't last long in the series, yeah, right. okay. which is a real shame because she's. I, I, from watching yeah. the pilot, that was one of my big takeaways was that she's a really ahead of her time character. She's yeah. a precursor to Starbuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She never yeah. reaches her potential yeah. in every those twenty-two episodes no, that she's, she's in. She's tough. Um, she's formidable. Yeah, I did think, oh, who organized. is this? So I yeah. missed her. Like, well, yeah. she's badass. I mean. What's funny in the is, course of, she does just kick the guard yeah. and then he gets killed because he like takes yeah. the prisoner. Like, what's yeah. but yeah. I've seen this episode before randomly. It's actually the first ever bit of Star Trek I ever saw mm. um, when it was first ever screened on BBC. Mm. Um, so it was with, I remember it was with my dad, I think my mum and dad, and they were quite like, oh, this is a big deal, as in Star Trek's coming back, that's like a huge thing, and I was like, okay, and my chief memory from it is that bit where Tasha Yar kicks a guy, because yeah. <laughs> I think I was like, because I think I was like, oh wow, like, I've never seen like, a woman this kind of badass, yeah, like, yeah. she's not doing a two-handed club on the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. so that's, that stayed with me, so I, I think it is a shame that maybe she didn't continue Today, on. she'd be a mainstay character in yeah, the show, totally, yeah. or if not the lead. I also think the show realised they needed her because, again, no spoilers, 
the character does make occasional appearances afterwards despite her right. demise mm. um, but they, they do it in a very good way I think they don't mm. overkill it they didn't overkill Tasha yeah. <laughs> oh baby <laughs> yeah so I think you know one of the best reappearances in yesterday's Enterprise which is one of the finest episodes of the show if not the best stay away oh, yeah. from oily puddles people <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, we know, do we know what the history or the reasons for them including Bones as one kind of handover <laughs> character oh, yeah. considering the fact that they have to age him up but he still has two more movie appearances to come in the future so yeah. it's like weirding out this whole well, chronology well, of what we're a, seeing I mean I've got my little research I did see that he he took minimum salary mm, for, yeah. for his cameo and I think it's just clearly he obviously felt like uh, Roddenberry had given him so much I think perhaps he was one of the easiest to approach in the original mm. show to yeah. but I think it's a nice touch that he's in there I think it is just that little one little link to how old do you think I am anyway? 137 years, Admiral, according to Starfleet records. Explain how you remember that so exactly. I remember every fact I'm exposed to, sir. I don't see no points on your ears, boy. But you sound like a Vulcan. No, sir. I'm an android. Almost as bad. I think it's a wonderful I genuinely love that scene I think it's great and what's that lining out at the end which is a bit corny maybe when you uh, go to treat her like a lady she'll always bring you home yeah. I, I, I don't mind a bit of schmaltz sometimes with Star Trek <laughs> yeah. and that one but how was it not Shatner going like oh someone's going to come money. back Shatner me, wasn't going to work for no money uh, was it yeah, yeah well, that's very that's true it. yeah <laughs> but why is he now got his this side of paradise accent? Yeah, yeah like yeah. insanely strongly. Why is that? He might have gone home. home. Like you know how mm. you get your accent back. Right, you know? right, right, right. Well, maybe it's just the fate that we will all face when we reach that age. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty-seven. Oh, yeah. Um, I did find it kind of funny that it was almost like a, a passing over of the political correctness torch because like he's there with Data and he says that thing about Vulcans mm. and Data's like I, I've. I, my database says that Vulcans are enlightened, you know, technologically. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I guess. You know? And then he says that thing about treat the ship like a lady, which is quite an old school mm, thing. Yeah, so yeah. that's almost like a, the, we're heading into the 90s, which has, you know, there is a counselor on the bridge. And they, in an emergency, they do hold a conference. You know yeah. what I mean? So it, there is that passing over of that from that more dramatic well, romanticised old fashioned language to yeah. PC culture which well is they do painful. say you get more right wing as you get older so maybe that explains why he's got more summer magazine <laughs> yeah who's the sun one, one thing I kind of picked out um, with this Wesley guy much of you to call him a guy yeah <laughs> is it's kind of hinted that Picard's his dad is that the case no. no, I know he kind of says like, "Oh, I knew your dad and stuff," but the way it's yeah. just like, yeah. it's, it's the classic scene of uh, Crusher coming in and being like, "This is Wesley," and be like, "Oh, from mm. that time, <laughs> I remember that." Oh, that was not. Yeah, oh yeah, no! Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> well, he's like surrogate father figure. You get that kind of like. Despite he's the fact he hates that. Him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, why don't you come in? Don't touch that. <laughs> it's hard actually, Wesley, because when it, it's I wrote here at genuinely, it's hard to believe how hated he would become mm. because in the pilot he doesn't seem like this mad annoyance he's just kind oh, of a bright eyed sweet well <laughs> fair enough <laughs> the holiday pisses you off but he's yeah. compelling to see yeah. like a, basically a kid in this scenario which we've never seen before was that kind of his purpose throughout well, his, his purpose was also that he was a sort of insane prodigy and the big criticism which is valid is that there were too many early episodes where 
this incredibly well-trained crew couldn't figure out the problem, but this 15-year-old kid <laughs> right. could. Um, which does undermine the authority of the crew. Yeah. Well, um, even in this episode, at one point, uh, Picard goes, how the hell do you know that, boy? <laughs> like, really, really yeah. loudly and like really, like, really out of the blue. It was weird. Just like, curious at him for knowing for being smart. <laughs> I've often said on this podcast that, I'm, that the thing I'm a really big fan of is Doctor Who, and I kind of feel like he has a similar position in Star Star Trek lore as Adric does ah. in Doctor Who like of being this really hated like genius kid like who because doesn't he we later what happens to does he, he sort of have storylines where he portrays everyone and stuff like that or tries to kind of take over or something he like, becomes um, he does enter Starfleet and gets into some trouble um, right, becomes right, a bit right, of a right. troubled teen hmm. is that fair to say? I think so and yeah, every yeah. now and again he'll be, not be given like godlike powers but there's that episode where they all go crazy and he like rewires get, get yeah, yeah, yeah. the computer and stuff where everyone's yeah. compromised but him and he yeah. kind of saves the day no 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 no, no it isn't no, no. everyone's compromised except I think only Picard but he has to try and convince this kid who he hates yeah. to put the computer back together or everyone's going to die <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so every now and again he'll be given power over everyone but yeah but I also think the cr- in this opening episode it is set up that the crew are a little bit incompetent. I think. In that, I do think in that opening scene where Q comes out of them and they're in the trial, and then Tasha Yar starts screaming and kicking, and yeah. and then like Troy is weeping. And you think, have some composure. Have some composure. You're on the flagship of the. Even Picard seems like so. So unaware of what to do. Right. I think, well, how are we supposed to take these people Luke, seriously? Data, data sits there and basically just recording everything and can do with their voices. Riker doesn't even know how to find anyone. Someone's like, well, dumbass, you push the thing on the thing and it'll tell you where to go. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, why doesn't. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I know they say this is like a new spruce stuff shit, but I was like, well, why be he been? He's like number one, isn't he? Why hasn't yeah. he been fucking trained to use the shit that he's commanding? He's like, he feels like he yeah. <laughs> just sit in front of this. Screen and have a recap, right? Crush, Crush is having yeah. a shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in a world with no money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, yeah, no, you're right, and he doesn't watch a recap, and so yeah. that was like a little, felt to me like a nod to the original series, where it's like, oh, all the security Everything cameras have uh, been edited and shot perfectly. <laughs> so like, funny. Yeah. I do have one note, which uh, is in capitals, it just says, Riker is brilliant. <laughs> I, think, I think in this episode, he's fantastic. I think Even without beard? Even, oh, like, I mean, yeah, for weird. the most part, I'm always pro beard, but I think in this episode he comes in and really like. Yeah, his first scene. He seems like, like a star. Um, yeah. First scene with Brent Spiner from Independence Day um, in that, in that uh, in the office <laughs> on Parkway Station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, he's just smooth. I was like, yeah. I could have sworn those uh, apples weren't there a second ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Delicious. In fact, even uh, even Q is the he right, is the one character that Q goes, oh, I like this guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah the card's awesome. like, well, at least you impressed him, number one. <laughs> So I've got a question here. This is two different critics on after reviewing the pilot at the time. I think I think from the Washington Post or somewhere. Like contemporary that. reviews. And it's who who's right about Patrick Stewart? One calls him a damn fine actor, or is he a grim bold crank? <laughs> I would like to claim Grim Bold Crank as a band name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Who called him a Grim Bold oh, Crank? Somebody. Oh, <laughs> Can you write on both? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Playing um, Bold Crank. I think um, we, uh, we, we did, we're going to mention a couple of times the Chaos on the Bridge documentary, which yes. tells the story of the making of this. Uh, we do feel like Baby Shatner has a little bit of a, who, who presents the show, um, has a bit of a gender to show, like, oh, how chaotic 
chaotic like it is when I'm not around and he's <laughs> delighting in some of the stories where people are getting fired like ha 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 but it is essentially like some backroom drama and to uh, illustrate this and try and make it more exciting there's so many cutaways to this uh, animated poker game so it's like he keeps using this poker metaphor where Gene was keeping his chips <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and uh, there he goes then he went oh and, uh, and he called the blood. You know, so it's just like, yeah, it really is just kind of what essentially would be quite dull stuff otherwise. And uh, yeah. Well, there's that bizarre cowboy yeah. music in Chaos and the Bridge as well. Yeah, it? yeah. Like, really it's, it's worth for, should, for the should have been doing it in the holodeck with uh, um, Stephen Hawking and Isaac Newton, like yeah. uh, David did one that one time. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, yeah, it's really interesting, I think, that they hold back four of the main characters until about kind of third of the way through the pilot and I actually think that's quite clever structurally it kind of seems quite odd in a way but the fact that it kind of because there's so many characters to introduce it kind of holds back some yeah, by going absolutely. like oh, okay so you got used to these guys on oh, here's some more kind of thing rather than having to take everyone mm. at once so Riker uh, the Crushers and of course Visor Man mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, kind of later with the Visor origin story yeah yeah one. which I think is First a good scene, scene. Yeah. I think that's really kind of like well played and stuff um, so I, I thought that was an interesting uh, way to do it I mean because we've also got uh, before that the big splitting the Enterprise moment mm. and that feels like them going this is our massive money shot moment this is the thing that's going to be in all the trailers TV spots for the episode yeah. going like wow yeah on this we're fucking well, splitting I remember Enterprise. seeing the TV spot for this and like this, uh, hearing some of the lines our oh, real trailer lines like let's see what this galaxy class starship can do yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know and do it, you know, it, that kind of stuff's really cool I think um, there are plenty of things they can sort of use to sell it on that on the basis of that mm. um, yeah effects really stand up mm. ILM doing a fantasy job are these not spruced up again? No, these are exactly no, no, as they were. Oh, really? No, it's ILM, isn't it? Yeah. Because I, I've got to say, when I was watching it, I thought, because I do remember seeing episodes of TNG back in the day, mm. and I do think the effects were really good anyway mm. back in there. But when I was watching this, I thought, hmm, no, these are CG, and I actually thought like they looked not as good as the original car model shots. So I assumed no, they're already spruced. Spruce it's, it's the HD light transfer. Right, the rest okay. Of okay. Well, yeah, the that look said, the impressive. first ever shot of the Enterprise in the episode. I don't rec- they reuse nearly every shot of the Enterprise in every yeah, episode. Yeah. I don't remember that first shot. No, they don't. Straight towards. They don't really use it very often. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit. So that could I, I could believe that that was added in, but no, if it isn't. It isn't. Yeah, I don't think unlike the original series where they replaced every effect shot entirely. Lots yeah. Bow. This is just because how cleaned up it looks. It looks great. You're really seeing yeah. it properly. Although that's really bizarre in TOS because you've got those really seamlessly put in CGI oh. shots of the ship, but then it will cut to like the most low budget set ever this, this, on a planet. This show was shot 35 mm and then it was finished on video. Right. So that means that like you've got all these effect shots done on film, but then if you need a phaser blast, that's a digital kind of like video effect later on. So they got the, the final finished on video and so anything that's kind of like a last minute kind of phaser blast would be added by video that means when they did the HD stuff that stuff didn't exist the video stuff wouldn't lay up and look good so they had to redo the the phases and those kind of things so right, the okay. only new effects are just like for like 
but in HD. Right, okay. And okay. that's about the only changes you have in this show. It, it is, like, the budget was massive for this show. Um, I think it says in, in my Star Trek Companion, which I don't know how accurate, but it says it was a million dollars an episode in the first mm. series, and that is 1987 money. Yeah, yeah. that's Miami Vice money. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's big. <laughs> I, I do watch it, and I have to say, I do wonder where the money went. Sometimes. The planet just looks like an original series set. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the thing. They So many of the sets are just redressed versions of original series or film sets. Yeah, yeah, the Battle Bridge is um, Star Wars, Star Trek 3. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, this Star is something Wars. we come back to all the time, isn't it? That you always say about how on Star Trek they constantly recycle stuff throughout the films and the TV shows. Yeah, yeah. All, all the birds of prey exploding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man. Um, also, I noticed. Did we? Did we all notice the guy in the kind of Federation dress, dress thing? Oh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 which yeah. is always taken. That one shot is always said by every Star Trek fan to prove how progressive Star yeah. Trek is. They always go, "Yeah, check out this one fucking shot mm. from the pilot where you see a bloke in a dress." Yeah. Oh my god, like it's the most progressive show of all time. I just like, well, it's kind of like two seconds of screen time, yeah. but like, yeah, cool anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I also think the fact that Deanna Troy basically has her ass out the entire thing which shows how not progressive it is. Yeah, exactly. I do think her some of the outfits in the early series. I mean, I'm amazed at how short that skirt is. <laughs> like, oh yeah, she's wearing yeah. a skirt first, isn't it? That's yeah, yeah. the weird thing. Everyone kind of at the beginning it takes a long time for her to get actually to wear the same costume as everybody else. Yeah. It's like yeah, season yeah. five, so mm. she goes through all these like basic bodysuits that are like yeah, yeah, just yeah. the counselor outfit, you know. Let's see the male version of that one. Like, that's the male counselor. You have to wear this, like, you know, put these heels on. All counselors wear like leotards and stuff. That's well known. But it is weird how a lot of the characters have different costumes at the start. So, Geordie the Forge, he's in red. Worf's in red at the start, and they both later go to the kind of beige costumes. That's right. They get promoted. Like, right. Um, yeah, because yeah. I think Tasha goes, so uh, Worf gets to be the security. Yeah, so we don't. Right. We d they don't have an engineer yet, and they. But there's this actor who plays this character called Argyle, who appears a lot in the first season, and he's like this bearded guy who occasionally turns up, <laughs> said a few lines, and he thought he was part of the crew. Like um, he was like seriously, like, oh my god, I'm, I'm basing one of the Star Trek. Why am I in none of the pitches? Why am I? And <laughs> 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 especially like when Geordi gets promoted, it's like we Argyle can go to hell. Like, yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Right, so are we going to say kind of final thoughts on this pilot and whether you know if we'd been watching before we get on to Sean and Steve's picks, if we'd been watching this pilot back in nineteen eighty seven, would we have been like, oh, I can't wait for next week? I think you got put, put yourself in nineteen eighty seven. This is not like anything you've seen. Like, yes, and, and, true. and it's not even Star Trek that you've seen either. Yes. So it is something really new. I think it's fascinating to look at. It's by next gen next generation standards even it's kind of like a dated you know because mm. it does kind of like get a bit more slicker production wise but it's I would be fascinated enough mm. I would say like 7 out of 10 mm. I do think when you look at this now it looks really 80s the way TOS looks really 60s now it's not yeah. like you look it still hasn't got like timeless look where some you of the like, score oh. as well is quite 80s mm. comedy you know yeah Apart from like the, kind of like yeah, yeah. A bit, you know what the the music? It sounds mm. like the theme hospital soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this weird backbeat with like heavy synths <laughs> outside of that main theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 It's um, like a Riker early Riker Troy scene, I think, where it's just like, oh god, that's yeah, horrible. Oh, this so is what I was saying. Like yeah. her weird accent in yeah. that scene as well. She sounds like slightly French. Like she's yeah. Greek parents, I think. Oh, I think she's right, from Greece. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I've got to say, I think I like this one more than I should because it's kind of got a special place in my heart because it is the first ever kind of bit of Star Trek I ever saw back in the day. And because of that, I've got quite fond memories of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like it. You know, I think it's obviously got flaws and everything like that and as a you know, first episode. But I kind of think back then a lot of pilots mm. were kind of a little bit clunky. Yeah, because we kind of yeah. know there's a lot of great shows out there that have dodgy pilots. Yes. I'm, I'm talking like modern shows. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. shows mm. from that era... I can't imagine if pilots would have been good, bad, or what. So mm. this is this is very effective, and uh, as like a kicking off point, I think it does well balancing the new and the established enough to like, especially after just seeing this and tune in again. Guys, as the long-term fans, do you agree or uh, what I took away from it was I was actually quite proud of it for sticking to the morals that I love about Trek, the kind of utopian morals. So you said earlier how, oh, they kind of don't argue with each other much. There's not a lot of conflict going on, and, you know, and they're also a bit, don't, don't know what they're doing. But there was at least three moments that jumped out at me where they almost go off the rails and then their Starfleet in them puts them back on track. So there's a bit where, like, Tasha almost gets like, we, need to, we should attack them. And he goes, wait a minute. Are you saying that we should attack an unknown life form? And she goes, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I, it won't happen again. Yeah. And then Worf's like, I'm a Klingon. I can't let you go into battle without me. And it's like, you're a Starfleet officer. And then even Riker says it to Deanna Troy, where she's like, they obviously have a pass. And she's like, no, if you get hurt, he's like, Starfleet officer. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's almost like old school, like, we stand tall on the corner deck, son, all of us. You know yeah, what I mean? And yeah, I, yeah. I really like that. And I felt like, so in that way, unlike a lot of other shows that li- uh, tend to go straight into militarism very quick, mm. especially mm. now, more so now, which really mm. upsets me, even in Star Trek, mm. I think that it's, uh, I like that utopian, mm. it stuck to its guns Absolutely. by not sticking to guns. You know? It allows them to be the, ke- the, the people they once yeah. were almost in the pilot. And the only person who kind of carries on in that vein is Worf, who just can't stop asking for, to fight first yeah yeah, yeah. getting yeah. shut down yeah. Yeah. that's the biggest part of conflict <laughs> in that pilot is yeah. just him going come on can't we fucking fight someone <laughs> but, but, go, no off. Yeah. but doesn't that make it amazing in first contact where he's like if you were any other man I would kill you where you stand and they have that standoff with each other and it oh, shows yeah. just how far Worf's come and he still he truly, but he truly he truly like would never overstep that line because he's a stuffly officer yeah no true what about you Sean um well, as I said, I enjoyed it so much more than I remember enjoying it. Wow. I think there are so many great scenes. I think the stuff between Q and Bacard is fantastic. Um, loads of bits are caught up, and I, you know, I really did get caught up in it as I watched it. Uh, I do think the, you know, the flaws of it, I guess, are the flaws of its time. The women's outfits tend to feel like from the 60s, and um, uh, you know, I do think some of the design elements hadn't quite come together. But uh, yeah, given how how wrong it could have gone, mm. uh, I think this is Gene Roddenberry really at his absolute. This is peak Roddenberry. Yeah, <laughs> sort of for better, for better and worse. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. You, you get this season one has a certain charm to it, and I quite like. If you wanted to see somebody's that undistilled vision, pretty much mm. this is where to go for it. And then season two is that kind of awful hybrid. I think that's probably the worst series. Uh, and then three onwards, you kind of get it really found its footing and what it was going to be, yeah, yeah. which is one of the episodes we'll be looking at. Um, but yeah, I think for the, for an example of pure Roddenberry, like you know, somebody's fought for their vision, has been in the wilderness for almost twenty years, and having his second second chance, really. Yeah, um, you can say more than that. Okay, so we come now to like the first of our guest choices, which is season three's episode, The Defector, mm-hmm. uh, chosen by Sean. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit why you chose The Defector as your pick of the next gen canon? Well, similar to the original series episode you did, um, I found it. I wasn't sure about which one to pick. 
because the instinct is always to go for one of the classic episodes. Mm. And this one is not considered a classic, though I think it should be. I think it's a testament to the show that it isn't considered it because it's very high quality. Um, but in general, I think it's a pretty much a self-contained episode, which helps for an introduction. And all of the crew kind of have their moment. It's about most of the crew as opposed to one member. Um, and what can I say? I think it's a really great hour of television. I think... Uh, and I, I, I wish it got more love in the Star Trek community. So this is me giving it to it. For, for people who may not have seen this one, uh, we're listening about seeing it. Could you give us a quick synopsis of what happens? A uh, quick synopsis would be um, sort of out of nowhere one day, uh, the Enterprise receives a distress call from a Romulan ship that is approaching them from a man who claims to be defecting to the Federation. Uh, and he works within the Romulan Empire and he has uh, information about a, a new threat of war from the Romulans, a secret army that's been built or something. Um, and he's trying to defect to stop the war and save his child's life and you know save some bloodshed. And most of the episode is spent figuring out whether this guy is telling the truth or whether it's a trick from the Romulan government. Um, and that's it. So there's a lot of mystery kind of built into it. Absolutely. And, and I think at the centre of it, quite a compelling performance from the guest star of the week. Yes. Like, yeah, he yeah, made so a real impression, yeah. Does yeah. he ever come back? Oh, he comes back all the time, but not as that. Yeah, guy. I figured yeah. he might. Yeah, yeah. He's a classic David Warner. Right. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, I think he's a mesmerising character. Uh, and uh, the fact that they, they build into him the fact that he could be an absolute liar. And even if he isn't, he's clearly a, a bit of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> he's, quite, he's very tough and he kind of is very hard to get anything out of. Absolutely. Admiral Jarrock, isn't it? Like, yeah, um, yeah. It's the name of the character. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, he's not entirely politician you know mm. yeah is the um, scene where he talks to data in the film forward and said there'll be plenty of Romulan scientists who would love to get their hands mm. on you yeah and there's yeah. a part of a glint in his eyes like I'd like to see you dissected as yeah, well yeah. <laughs> but I'm doing this yeah. for my family and for the millions of lives that could be saved yeah, yeah. well sort of the yeah. big conflict within him is that he doesn't consider himself a traitor and mm. so he you know he blows up his own ship he doesn't give you know, he doesn't give any information for a, for a while, at least, about what's going to happen. No specifics, um, and they go, "Why? Why aren't you giving us more information?" He goes, "Because I'm I'm a Romulan. I'm doing this for my, for my family." Mm. Um, Space Snowden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like especially when he's he's selling himself at first as just a logistics officer or something. Yeah. So he's literally saying he's Snowden. That he's just a low level guy. <laughs> yeah, he got the info, yeah, yeah. and he's whistleblowing, not being yeah. a traitor. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I've got to say, this episode kind of sold me more on it as it went along, mm. and you know the layers were peeled back, and you kind of got more and more twists as the episode yeah, went along. Yeah. And it's that thing of when you discover. Oh, he's lying. He's actually this really high admiral who's, you know, quite a harsh guy. Um, you know, I think they say, like, you know, he's actually really well known amongst kind of, you know, Romney and He's got like a legend, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 exactly. And they're like, oh, okay, won't say you were lying to us. You're actually this guy. And you kind of feel that it's like he's lied about who he is, so they more easily accept yeah. kind of his story. And then it's like, well, surely that brings it into question. It was really clever with the reveals because it, it kept quite a lot of options genuinely open. So I thought what it was going to do when it revealed, you know, that the stuff he says is there isn't there, and he was seemed genuinely confused. I thought it was going to be that he's a guy either from the distant past or future who's ended up in their mm. time, 
and he's not lying, he's telling the truth, but it's not there yet. Or yeah, something. yeah. So I was like, oh, that's going to happen. And they're like, oh, no, it was all like a trap and stuff. So lots of good twists. Yeah. And he does have shoulders of steel. He has uh, <laughs> yeah. right angle shoulder pads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very mesmerizing. Yeah, he could definitely work on like Wall Street or something like that. How aggressive. How aggressive. Because this is still like potentially late 80s, 80s or 90s. I, I have a no, feeling this, this is the first be... episode of the 90s. It is. Yeah. 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 I saw this as well. Bonfire of Vanities, Star Trek. New Year's Day, 1990s, the first ever Star yeah. Trek of the 90s welcome wow. to the decade yeah, here's, yeah. A, here's a downer for you yeah. <laughs> you know Russia is about to be replaced by North Korea and I yeah. think there was kind of an interesting kind of moment where the Romulans have surrounded the Enterprise and they're going to say we're going to take your whole of your ship back and display it uh, mm. as a prize a bit like the USS Pueblo incident in the 60s where they yeah. stole an American gunboat and it's still there as yeah. a prize museum to show you know their victory over imperialism <laughs> of, of America yeah so I thought it was quite well, nice parallel this episode is written by Ronald D. Moore is it not? Mm. yes um, it is yeah. he then went on to do Battlestar Galactica and so he's a very politically minded so it's probably all very taken from yeah, it did feel quite Battlestar it's like a Law and Order episode yeah. <laughs> everything's taken from the newspaper and I think the script is so tight I mean there's a few clunky bits I don't think it I mean only just in terms of dialogue that you get with any Star Trek episode mm. there's mm. a bit where they're swearing in Klingon that kind of makes oh, my, <laughs> my skin crawl up. it's kind of like those scenes of the untouchables where it's like oh this guy's a wop we know we can't use him it's like it's better than you you fucking Irish yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. so they can, oh, so he's calling guy. him a, he's calling him a patak and uh, a toes Ah. Yeah. And then he calls him a what's the Romulan one? A Is that a Barul or something? Barul, yeah, yeah, or something. It's cool, but you don't like that. No, I think I it's, love I that. Think, no, I, think it's, I think it's fine. I think it shows. I think that scene in general. I mean, what can I say? I'm a big, big fan of the episode. Mm. I really think it's one of the most underrated episodes of the whole mm. show. Mm. Um, but maybe you guys didn't enjoy it. But I find I, it. I think twist upon twist, and yeah, and I think the yeah. ending is the most bittersweet yeah. thing. In I, I, I think, like, yeah, like Liam said, I, like Liam said, I enjoyed it more as it went along at first. Yeah. I mean, my first note here is is this holodeck bullshit again, <laughs> and it was. I was like, this really isn't giving a good representation of how much these guys like to dick about doing Shakespeare in the park so <laughs> I thought it was really funny with that it's funny you mentioned the holodeck because there's that bit where the, he, they take the Romulan onto holodeck yeah. and he's like oh no this is like all fake and they kind of turn it off and so it's just a kind of general kind of like thing and he just goes oh this is my home now. I'm like, mate, you don't have to live on the holiday <laughs> when, it's, when it's inactive. He's you know, in a just glass like, case of emotion. It's like, this isn't your room. You how know? many episodes are there that are hinging on the twist that people think they're somewhere but it turns out they're in a holiday oh well, no I think like, if, you, if you watch this week mm. week you're not in any illusion yeah. they're on the holiday <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Very rarely that, that, that was my only thing that, that kicked in my head where I was like wait a minute how could they have a perfectly accurate holiday program of Romulus if it's like people are defecting and the information is so yeah, yeah. How, yeah, yeah. when did they get like a full scan of Romulus yeah indeed. maybe postcards weird. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does look like how shit, do you though, not so... know what their <laughs> troop movements are you know exactly. I mean? well in fact you could have just said you know, this guy's a bit wrong here I think because he, he says it's really good doesn't mm. he but it's not yeah. real yeah. so yeah it is pretty accurate well it's funny because the holiday thing at the beginning mm -hmm. the opening scene is obviously they're doing Henry V with data is acting yes. and Picard uh, Patrick Stewart plays guy, one yeah. of the other mm. guys I'm not sure yeah 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 that. I noticed that I was like isn't that Patrick Stewart he's just addicted to Shakespeare he insisted on that like, he, like I, we can't have this and I can't do a bit yeah. Yeah. I'm just jonesing don't you know who I am and it's sort of odd and I don't know maybe it didn't sit well with you but I again I think as a good way of an episode this is season three the show has been a bit 
crap for a couple of years, or very flaky. And now <laughs> they, I think they, they must have been a sense of like, oh, we're actually nailing this now. Mm. Like some real heavy hitter episodes so are about like to come up. And it's about your... to turn. And I think to open, a cold open of a major American show, with just out of nowhere, three minutes of a Shakespearean play in the middle of the play. Mm. I think there's just a real swagger to that. It's mm. a real, but there's a braveness, bravery to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do kind of try and reference it back. Well, it's the, kind the of stuff because he's a, an admiral, but he's pretending not to be an admiral when he first shows up. So it's it's foreshadowing. Yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. Nice writing. He's obviously he's not a king among his, his own troops, but he's a king amongst the enemy's troops. Yeah. You know? And Picard well, later on asked, asked Data, "Can you tell me what the mor- morale of the crew is? Because I can't." You know, I can't be discreet when I'm around. I can't yeah. find out for myself. Mm. Um, but I mean, admittedly, it can. You probably did think, why are we here? <laughs> what is this? Well, I, 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 I found it interesting that opening uh, scene because j- just because I was like, wait a minute, wait that that is Patrick. That's mm. definitely Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then I was just like, oh, he's there. as like, oh, what the fuck is yeah. going on? And then I found it really interesting where he kind of listed all the kind of famous Shakespearean actors and they obviously threw in like a couple at the end which were meant to be like future actors that's always classic Star Trek also one of them is Colnark which could be a reference to um, uh, Christopher Plummer's character in uh, saying Uh, it's better in the original Klingon yeah 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 (laughs) so I think that last one was a Klingon actor famous for doing Shakespeare but what I found interesting is he says Branner in it and I was like wait a minute (laughs) this is like 1990 I was like, he done Henry V. Henry V. In oh, that's true, isn't it? Because in my head, I was like, was Branner that well known by this stage? I was like, is that kind of like Patrick Stewart going, oh, Ronald, you must mention Branner. <laughs> 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 Kenneth, Kenneth, I, I, I can just swing it for you. <laughs> now, uh, hope you could swing a part for me. <laughs> there may be a Thor in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for me with the holodeck, it's just literally because everything I've seen so far has had holodeck stuff in the first five minutes. Like yeah. Generations, the pilot and this. I was like, You're this is how it is. Huh? <laughs> uh, in, in moderation, probably. But this is literally been I think you've not seen Holodeck go wrong yet. Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, you've got it, yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff. We'll make you a list. (laughs) There was a really great data moment with him learning about instinct and intuition, some good human emotion, and I thought this is a really nice scene. But, you know, has it taken this long in the show for them to touch on these sort of things with him? Did they Mm. space it out quite a lot with how much he learns? They they did did space it out. And I do, similar to my sort of mild criticism of the pilot, I think they played it too on the nose at first. And I like Mm. it with this, where it is just a genuine conversation Mm. of a man with no instinct, with no intuition, talking to Geordie, who's... You know, he's kind of almost like, like streetwise oh, down this there. Guy, yeah. like, hey, I'm telling you, this guy's going to blow it. Because <laughs> um, that's funny when Day is like, I trust my guts. I was like, yeah, I've got yeah, yeah. my guts. Yeah. He, he's funny. Um, Eleanor, who's been on the show before, came in while I was watching this. And, and her, one, straight out again. her one comment, her one comment was, oh, "There's such a bunch of fucking nerds." <laughs> About all the Next Generation crew, she was like, because she quite likes the kind of like JJ films with uh, Kirk and that. But whenever mm. she sees a bit of TNG, she's always like, they nerds. Nerds. <laughs> and I'm like, you, you yeah. are right. I think they are like the nerdiest crew. Yeah. Even like, the Klingon is just a wet blouse. <laughs> it's just, it's just can't be violent. He's oh, just oh, constantly controlling himself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, even his, even his son thinks he's uncool. You know what I mean? Like it's terrible. Um, I really liked this episode. I thought the twists were all really, really strong. And by the end, it's like a triple bluff. Mm. By the time you get to the kind of Romneyans going, um, 
like, oh yeah, actually, this was all set up from the start. Like, you know, we completely, we knew you'd portray us and you'd go and defect and now we're going to fucking kill you. Like, and it just, yeah, I, I was really impressed by that. And then to get the next twist where, you know, he tops himself yeah. at the end. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I mean, he's supporting the Federation. Just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you could destroy us, but there'll be a bit of a diplomatic, diplomatic incident here. That was really um, cool. Just, like, see just show how far those relations like. have come. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's a real, like, Punched yeah, yeah. yeah. Accompanied by some of Goldsmith's Klingon theme, mm-hmm. which I quite like. That yeah. so if, he, if he was like, you know, composing this, he would have definitely, you know, done that little signature bit, like uh, of Wolf's, you know, the Klingon theme. Which is nice. Yeah. yeah, I really like. He's kind of like thanks the Klingons for me. It's a bit weird what he said, like, yeah, like he just looks to Wolf, and Wolf should have been like, I don't have. We don't all have each other's number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, check your privilege, racist. mate. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, she. <laughs> Send them a gift basket. But yeah, it was funny because you were saying about Ronald D. Moore writing this, mm. and obviously he's one of the writers who had a bit of a problem with Roddenberry's non-conflict vision right. and mm. found it quite hard to write within those parameters. But I actually think this episode, and especially the ending, is a perfect blend of Roddenberry's non-conflict um, kind of utopia and a more warlike kind of story because it's a sad but hopeful ending where you know Picard is like oh, you know he left us this note mm. and we've got no way of passing it on to his family mm. but maybe one day we will yeah, so it's yeah, kind of yeah. looking forward going yeah it's really bad at the moment but we are striving for mm. peace yeah, you must yeah. have known we had no way of getting it to yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and I like yeah. he's going like maybe my sacrifice will you know mean something down the road and you know I did think that was really effective it would have made a very interesting final scene of Star Trek Nemesis where technically they've kind of started talks with the Romulans would have been the only good scene yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it was like, like there was so much potential for that film uh, to be kind of significant but yeah you're right you didn't just didn't have any you yeah. cared really um, yeah Great stuff. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so I think we're, we're all won over by this, right? Yeah. I don't think I've got anything else to write. Pardon me, I think Picard's great in it. Mm. I think it's a real... He does seem increasingly overwhelmed mm. throughout the whole thing. And the scene where him and Jarek are kind of at each other's throats. Mm. And then there's a reference to Picard never having children that seems to really get under <laughs> his skin. <laughs> oh, and he rocks a good cup of tea, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 Um, did, does, he, does he ask him? Because I think Jarrett probably would have known that and asked him knowing full well the yeah. answer and to see whether he would, what the reaction would be. Definitely. Uh, Troy finally got to kind of be useful in that episode because they're like inter- interrogating him and she she's using her telepathy to know that mm. he's holding back. It's like yeah. one of the few times when she and Riker are kind of... is it? I think it's her and Worf yeah. are interrogating him yeah. and both of them are kind of playing good cop bad cop and actually like mm-hmm. really feels like she's part of the crew in that yeah, absolutely loved yeah. it. I, I love that and it's almost like it's the first time we see the Enterprise interrogation room yes yeah. 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 we have one we've been hiding like, this one would you please dust before we use it <laughs> there, isn't, there isn't enough interrogation in TNG because it does come up and when they, they're very good at it actually they must have a good staff must have a very good uh, yeah, training module on very that, good training that. module have you got e-learning have you ever been zero G waterboarded <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so Steve you chose 
Darmok yes. from season five. Yeah, I did. Why did you choose this episode for us to watch? Well, uh, much like Sean and much like uh, my brother before me um, in the last episode, yeah, I was trying to think of like I, this. I wouldn't say this is my favorite episode. This is yeah. not. If I had to ask me to pick my favorite episode, it wouldn't be this. Um, and I thought of a couple of ones. Uh, there were some good contenders. There was a fistful of daters, which is an amazing comedy episode. But uh, it is probably the best gateway drug for Star Trek you could ever have. It's oh, a holodeck okay. episode. It's heavy okay. holodeck. I like the title already. So good. It's basically a western, and the holodeck gets broken, and Data becomes everyone in the holodeck, and it's a western, but with the face of Brent Spiner, and it's hilarious <laughs> and wonderful. Oh, um, like yeah, it's a great yeah. episode. And the other one was the Inner Light. Oh, oh yeah, yeah which course, is yeah. arguably Picard's best, Patrick Stewart's best performance before the films. Mm. Uh, so check that one out definitely, and addresses the fact that he's never had kids and things like that. It's, it's and arguably facilitates the arc that you then noticed in the final two-parter, Liam, about right. him having come so far. That's not yeah. the four lights thing. No, it's not uh, the four lights no. thing. Which Sean is wearing on his t-shirt. Yeah, I've got a there are four lights t-shirt on um, from the Chain of Command two-parter, which. Which, if pushed, I would say is probably the maybe the objectively best and, and stuff. Just, yeah. And there's our yeah. David Warner connection. And there's yeah. David. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen that one. It is really, it's really quite, good. Uh, quite it's brilliant. But you are, I mean, like you say, you are sport for choice with this. Yeah, uh, with Star Trek. Exactly. So, so what I thought was for this, I thought what would be the most interesting episode to talk about that that maybe people wouldn't have heard of that just to me defines what I think is so unique about the show and so uh, Darmok is an episode where um, the uh, the Enterprise has gone to a system called El Adrel uh, where there are this uh, race of creatures called the Children of Tamar um, the Tamarians and all they know about them from previous uh, encounters with other, other species have had with them is that they are incomprehensible and that the, they, they speak in a language or they speak English where you can universal translator can translate what they're saying but what they're saying makes no sense and then uh, they find themselves uh, confronted by another ship with the Tamarians they try talking to them it doesn't work and then Picard gets abducted uh, along with the captain of the Tamarian ship and placed down on a planet. And at this point, it's worth noting that this is very, very similar, almost obviously referentially show, to the episode Arena mm. with Kirk versus the Gorn. Yeah, I noticed that. Spiritual uh, sequel, I thought, at uh, first. I yeah, thought I was, it oh. definitely is. But, yeah. but that's why I love it, because if there's anything that shows the difference between Next Gen and original series, between... Picard and Kirk because you guys have talked at length about <laughs> how Picard can't re no, you, like there's a funny bit in this episode where Worf goes I respect the captain's fighting skills it's like yeah. since when yeah, man yeah. he can't even make a fire <laughs> that's exactly what I thought I thought Kirk have you fucking seen Generations like, 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 by Malcolm it's like Kirk makes an explosive device out of clay you know what I mean and yeah. Picard's just with a stick going drat you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, like, gets a pneumonia for the second half of the episode. Um, he doesn't even consider asking for. He's like, I guess I'm going to freeze now. You know? <laughs> Unless Picard just drops an encyclopedia on his head. <laughs> That's exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But there are lovely little references. He gets his his shirt ripped. Yeah. Um, yeah, the fact that it's that. two captains the Gorn as much as he's known as like this monster going rawr, rawr. he's uh, an intelligent he's a captain of his ship mm. and he's an intelligent and he has to fight uh, Kirk um, also the both the ships are prevented from from going and getting them and all that kind of stuff so there's a lot of things but this becomes uh, a story about language yeah. and um, and it's about storytelling mm. and so you end up with Picard trying to at first he, he, he never never fights him 
Like, you, you could have used this episode up quite a bit, and arguably it would be slightly more entertaining. Like, they, like you could take this concept and make it a bit longer and a bit more action-packed. There could have been a scene where some blows get mm. traded, yeah. and there could have been more like that, but I, I love that it isn't. I, I do think, like, for the lack of it, that one bit where there is, and you see uh, the captain played by Paul Winfield. Uh, captain... Dayson. They fun, yeah. Is being beaten up by the uh, the alien on the planet, which is um, sort of like predator or something. Predator, yeah, it is like the way it's cut is brilliant because you have Picard being beamed out, like almost mm, being beamed they're out, trying to get him out of him, him. and that, that that you know wanting to save him is like and not being able to is mm, fantastic. Yeah, I mean that's if you had a bit more of a fight, it kind of wouldn't make that moment as yeah, quite powerful. Exactly. Yeah. So, and the fact that even at that point, even when they're still not quite understanding each other, he cares about him that much that he's like, no, I want to save this guy. I'm getting to him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it turns out that the the, the does, he do a, does he do a no he does when the beam comes down but it becomes like like garble but it turns out that the the um, the Tamarians end up speaking in metaphor now this I remember my dad showing me this episode once because my dad is my route to all Star Trek um, and him saying it is a bit silly Steve like like it's a bit silly because like you know like the Tamarians are an advanced race so if, so what they'll say is um, you know um, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra which means two uh, combatants who become friends uh, and are tested by by vanquishing a mutual enemy that's why he takes him down to the planet mm. and that's what he says and there's a bit where his like, second in command giving him some, some lift but he's just like the river Tamark whoa whoa in winter, motherfucker. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, so yeah. they can to hook to each other, but then there's a bit later on where Geordi's like, uh, they've deepened the scattering field in the D region of the ionosphere, and I'm like, I wonder what the metaphor for that was. <laughs> 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 like, that's a very, very specific thing. So my dad was like, it doesn't quite make sense, but then I started, when I thought about coming on this podcast, I thought, wait a minute. We talk in metaphor now all the time. How many times have you had somebody that you know something good happened to them and because you're too tired to write congratulations, you just send them that gif of um, uh, Leo DiCaprio raising a martini glass with <laughs> yeah. fireworks behind him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How many we arguments have I means. had with you? Yeah. How many arguments have I had with you about a film or a TV show and I've had to throw up that gif of Frasier going, I am not crazy! <laughs> or I am wounded! You know what I mean? And like emojis, like that people do speak mm -hmm. in shared stories now in popular culture you have to understand yes. the context of it especially yeah. the gifts and stuff well, well, 10 years oh, almost 50 years whatever we've been playing video games yeah. me and Matt and, oh, yeah, yeah. and basically example. he'll know exactly what I mean when I shout BOKAN <laughs> <laughs> you could even speak in Star Trek Memes like, you, what if I take up to you and I said Picard with face in palm? Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or Picard with hand outstretched on bridge. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what that means. And then, and, yeah. one thing in this episode where I and they do reference it, which I'm glad they do because I think it would totally because I mean, <laughs> obviously everyone watching it goes, yeah, but what if you don't know what these things mean? And they mm. and they do say like if. With the Romeo and Juliet example, yeah. they go, well, they, they know what the examples are and we mm. don't, and that's mm. how it works. Mm. Um, and, and yet again, the rest of the crew, even though they don't actually get to direct, in fact, the one time they actually get involved, the, the, the other captain ends up dying. So they actually, uh, uh, you know, but, you know, Riker's in command and he's, and he's actually being doing it quite well. Worf's like his confidant. And then you've got Data and Troy actually doing some pretty good detective yeah, yeah. work to work it out. And, and um, I think you also get to see Worf, like his uh, suggestion gets taken up, I think, in a rare occurrence where they do mm. fire on the other ship. Yeah. And mm. um, so, yeah, I think quite good to see him kind of get come through and actually yeah. have a part to play in it too. Also, I'm glad to see Colmini, um, mm. you know, a fine actor, and this episode makes full use of him. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I haven't got him. I've got a piece of him. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. just, I, I definitely believe that when he walked over the wall and checked something uh, by touching the uh, <laughs> <laughs> back. Yeah, he must have felt like just really getting used here. <laughs> well, he really comes into his own in DS9, DS9, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I think it's like we've basically underused you for seven years. Like, we're going to give you something. Because <laughs> is he semi regular? Because he's yes, a pilot, he is, of course. Now he's in this. He's around. His yeah, wife, his wife Keiko, is a regular character, right. and so sometimes they'll deal with wife yeah his character's mm-hmm. wife um and so uh, like there's been episodes where data has like monitored their relationship to learn about humanity and there's an episode where Creeper. she and most of the crew turn into children <laughs> yeah which is when she's I like, like and yeah. uh, no exactly she's like you know get over here husband and he's like yeah, it's <laughs> and they've got some young british kid as jean luke and it's beautiful and he's like he says make it so and it's a brilliant it's like it's like the music video for um miracle by queen where they're all being played by kids right. and you've got little little Mustachioed, it's the Bugsy kid. Malone Freddy. <laughs> it makes it sound like there's scenes of data like spying on Cole Meany, fuck his wife. <laughs> <laughs> just go, I'm learning so much about human interaction. Exactly. Uh, does it, does it follow Waterbury's plan? I don't know. <laughs> I he was a perm. Earlier on, like, said, uh, Oh, did you know that that was uh, Ashley Judd? Like, yeah. Yes. And um, I was just like, All I've got down here is like. It's Geordie's like engineer, mate. Uh, that first, first ever TV role. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Forge wow. has a continuous parade of very attractive like an engineering assistants yeah. yes. with all with Croydon facelift hairstyles right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah some some heavy contouring and there they are that's <laughs> this stud this uh, yeah. this episode to me it was it felt like the perfect example of what I thought Trek always was yeah because mm. it's this thing of you know, going around discovering new alien races, trying to help them be peaceful and having non-violent solutions for disputes so this kind of really summed up everything I assume Star Trek was before I knew what it was in a really interesting way uh, with every you know with everything that goes on as you say all the crew stuff going on up top so it gives mm. a really good A and B plot and then the different twists coming along and it, and it does have that internal logic that make it make sense mm. as much for the stuff that doesn't make sense mm. but mm. for what it wants to say it doesn't like break anything you know it does kind of work yeah I mean it's just, I'm a sucker for a high concept so even yeah. if it doesn't quite mm. work I admire apparently it took two years for this episode mm. to make it to screen because like Rick Berman hated it he just thought it was stupid so it's like people had to fight for it well, there are not enough car chases for yeah. it <laughs> yeah. no, not enough dune buggies on yeah, the exactly. planet like, I think yeah. that might be why they've made it so referential to Arena because mm. that's such a fan loved episode they were like well if we make it That'll kind of like in. an answer to that people will enjoy it is that it. episode fan Oh, well, it's the most it's the most synonymous. It's the most one that even a, a non-Trekkie would probably, mm. if you think about Shatner fighting the Green. It's rep- it's, and that lo- that location's very right, like Bill and Ted yeah. and stuff. No, but. no, I know what you mean in terms of it's gone into the cultural lexicon. But yeah. I've since starting this podcast, joined a bunch of kind of like Star Trek Facebook groups. <laughs> no, <laughs> to kind of like be well to promote the podcast, basically, guys. Like, uh, um, but yeah, I do notice people always slagging that episode off. The one yeah. with the Gorn. They always yeah. go, "Oh, the Gorn episode!" Like, uh, like yeah, because well, it's, it's, really it's the creep of Star Trek episodes. It's like, like everybody um, hurts of Star Trek. Everyone's seen it. <laughs> but I do think this episode a really interesting concept. Uh, it's really heady in terms of that thing a race you can't communicate with because usually there's these shortcuts because mm. they can't got a universal communicator haven't they where they can just kind of translate anything to anyone of them to be come up against just a problem as simple as oh 
we can't we can't communicate with you. We we don't know your language. It is a really interesting idea mm. for an episode of television, um, and quite sophisticated. And for other side, not to just immediately start shooting, you know. Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah, and that that idea of you know they're put down mm. on this because it it was funny in the sense of you know these two warriors are selected to go down I was like why are you setting for cards like <laughs> I can't be fuck all like, but the, the fact that really when he comes down it actually works well because he, he doesn't really fight with his fists at the end of the mm. card you know he kind of thinks his way out of it mm. although I did find it really funny he keeps going all the way through the episode to the other uh, to the alien he keeps going oh what does that mean this does that mean that I'm like can't speak English, man? He's, he's talking like to he himself. He can speak it's English. Like, it's like, it's, he it's, can it's, speak English. It's, yeah. it's all about um, ego structure. It's also it's yeah. very one way the desire to learn the other one's language. At no point does he go. What do you mean when you say? <laughs> <laughs> like it's all Picard. Picard's doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah, out yeah, of yeah, that yeah. Shit. I, I went. I got to say I was very moved by the moment where he does probably yes. come up with a story to tell him. Yes. And Paul Winfield's performance where he sort of laughs along and sort of like mm. under, starts understanding and he's sort of yeah. putting it together. Uh, as he's dying and it was like that was really it's good so Gilgamesh yeah. and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Enkidu and I think I remember Patrick Stewart interview saying like he was just gobsmacked to see the word Gilgamesh in a television script mm. for Star Trek or for an American TV show of any yeah. kind so in that way it's just so valuable and it's such a well you're right and it's Paul Winfield who's um, is he not Captain Terrell yeah. in Star Trek yes. or Rock of Khan yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. A lovely, oh uh, yeah. is it that guy the, the, um, himself. the one who gets yeah 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 yeah, yeah I didn't realise it was but it's, he's doing a lot through that makeup I think he yeah mm. and just the way you know they're saying the same lines saying you're getting both different intonations each time I thought mm. that mm. really and the, works and then when Picard finally walks back onto the bridge I think it's because if you think of the episode as being uh, as a, uh, you know if uh, a more fickle person listening to the podcast could watch it and be like oh it was a bit boring nothing happened in it but then the fact that it's quite a soft sell that is a hair raising moment it's basically a Cuban missile crisis moment yes mm. and the fact that he, suddenly he's communicating and not only do, not only do the, the Tamarians know what he's saying we know what he's saying we get yeah. that whole conversation yes. where, uh, and then the, the language they yeah. even throw in a bit of new stuff but we pick it up anyway mm. where he says yeah, yeah. Um, he says uh, 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 what is it Temba his arms wide to say do you want this knife back and he goes Temba at rest so yeah. we don't know what at rest means but we're like oh I get it he's saying no keep the knife mate mm -hmm. so I love that That's I do brilliant. know what you're saying actually because I, I would say I was more gripped by Defector when I was watching it mm. than I was by Darmok but when I finished Darmok and thinking back over the episode I was like oh man that was a really smart piece of television yeah. actually like, mm. yeah. and, and if you were to like try and think what is Star Trek what separates Star Trek from other sci-fi things it is episodes like Darmok mm. I mean mm. it was said before it is pure that thing and I like the, the sort of duality between how Picard is dealing with the situation he will never fight he won't do it mm. whereas the crew are kind of getting out of frustration mm. their trigger fingers a bit itchy and mm. they don't know what to do um, I also have written here and I, I maintain this this is the only situation I can ever imagine having Troy on the bridge is relevant <laughs> <laughs> I can't there's every other time like, what do you think well he's already said he's angry but this yeah, one, yeah. oh we don't know what they're saying right get Troy up there finally <laughs> <laughs> doesn't she say she say I can sense nothing but good intentions captain it's like you had one thing to do to <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. laughs> so what do they say what does Darmok mean yeah. uh, I, I, when I IMDB this it turns out uh, Darmok if you put it backwards is comrade comrade oh. that's clever isn't it 
Oh, and, uh, oh, and if you read like you know, Picard ends the episode with another thing for his trophy cabinet of great ex- yes. life experiences to go alongside his flute. I don't think this is before yes. or after, but the flute I think happens in the inner light, isn't it? which is the yeah. fifth season, which yeah. this is. So I, yes. I, they must be quite close together. Mm. Um, but yes, uh, he does does get his little collection going. Which yeah, is, <laughs> which is which he's happily to just totally dismiss at the end of generations and not look for. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's it. Yeah, he just takes yeah. this like uh, photo album with holographic like Chinese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, to like you know, it's like oh thank goodness this thing I just introduced in this film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Couldn't leave without that. Like, yeah. like the flute. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is good because obviously the difference between the other episodes is oh, everyone is that we've chosen is two years ahead, and mm. the opening scene in this. Like, there is such a warmth and confidence in the crew, I think. Like, they talk about, we've tried before to talk to these people, the Federation, and they said, well, what, what chance do you think we'll have this time? And he goes, well, I think we can do anything. And well, I can't remember what, exactly mm-hmm. what he says, but it seems like he's more comfortable in his role, mm-hmm. and well, he really, he really believes in... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, also, again, to bring it back to Arena, the whole point of Arena is that Kirk and the Gorn were going to fight in the real world, they were, because an outpost got destroyed, they were about to go into an armed conflict, and it turned out to be a kind of Q-like creature that had put them on the planet, who, was non, who were benevolent and non-violent, so they were like, we put you down here to test whether or not you would... You, that, that you are a violent species and Kirk at the end goes no I won't kill you like he, he chooses not to but he's so close to doing it so in a way this episode is about the potential that Kirk showed in that episode has finally taken root in the Federation where now the official policy is not violence mm-hmm. you know so, yeah. so as much as you want to say Patrick Stewart always is a shit fighter he's no Kirk he's kind of better than Kirk because Kirk would have already like slit this dude's throat. He would have made a trebuchet out of uh, you know, palm trees. Because I don't. Let's think. Kirk is really violent, so yeah. I don't really buy that. I think it's like we are not savage. Next week you'll be laying. Like, yeah, it's always yeah, yeah. Kirk's answer to everything. It's like you've got to get angry and start punching <laughs> people. Like, yeah, and that, that is the biggest problem with the films of Star Trek Next Generation is Picard, this kind of man of peace, this incredible diplomat, is just turned into this kind of a badass John McClane. Like, yeah, John McClane going around. See, I like that though. We finally did love first contact. In this well, that's the thing. First contact is really is an incredible is incredibly. Like I don't mind first contact whatsoever yeah. because it's so good that it's sort of irresistible. But um, and it's the Borg and he's got PTSD. Yeah, it's great. I, it's great. I think that yeah. was Patrick Stewart going, "Oh God, I've been a pussy for seven years <laughs> at last." So yeah, it's kicking yeah, ass. Like, could yeah. you maybe have another Shakespeare play and I could play a better character? But... <laughs> yeah. I mean, just with his his uh, attire in this one, I, I don't know how often they do the repeat of this. I mean, he has like kind of smoking jacket. <gasps> yeah, 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 he's got different great. costumes, leather Lovely. and suede and stuff. Yeah, really cool leather jacket. Patches, like this. Yeah, but I just think he needs some slippers down there. On that <laughs> I don't want to like shout a pipe with him, like uh, around the fire. But he's got a different uniform. <laughs> full stop. He's got a kind of grey, greyish, bluish. Yeah, it's underneath, like isn't it? Yeah, I'm just yeah, imagining. Yeah. Now I'm just imagining them sharing a pipe together, and he's like Darmark and Jalad. He's like, yeah, Darmark, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, is that? Oh yeah. Is that a thing? His costume in this episode is that something just random for this? I think, one, I think it was. I think it might have been the first time he wore it in the show. It was a new. Thing, new progression, the leather jacket thing. Well, no, the, underneath as well. He's oh, not, yeah, no, he's not wearing his red. He's, he's wearing, wearing the grey. Yeah, 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 I think it's meant to go with that outfit. Mm. So it's yeah, a whole it's like piece. A yeah, because I read that he doesn't change clothes on the planet, which is what I thought at first. But he's got it underneath because <laughs> yeah, the red, yeah, the red yeah, one yeah. opens up like a jacket. Yeah, well, I assumed it's a new costume or something. Well, this was a period in Star Trek where <clears throat> there was a lot of costume changes going on a lot. Like DS9 right. and Voyager, they could not make their mind up at what 
what uniforms mm. they would all wear and so it was like grey was getting more involved whereas um, TNG were pretty loyal to their look uh, yeah. until, they, until the films it's, it seems like it's one random one where they changed the uh, the tight main title to be a 3D effect yes you maybe skipped it on Netflix but if you if you've watched it <laughs> as you were meant to uh, you would have seen there was a 3D effect of uh, behind the title <laughs> on one of these episodes <laughs> on this one oh, that I was only in this season, season, season they went back to yeah. just oh, okay. 2D yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what's everyone favourite season overall I would put out five probably if I'm thinking in a light I'm just going to go with that one mm. well, you and me haven't got a favourite season because yeah, no, no, we no. haven't seen a complete season yeah. of TNG what about you guys I think between three and six there are, there is, there are all probably evenly stacked in terms of very good good episodes yeah when you have 26 yeah. a season it's hard to say mm. overall but you think well, that's, the, that's also the problem yeah. so I, just, I just remember them from TV so I don't think of them in seasons yeah, yeah. Mm. so I'd probably say the, the the changeover from the best of both worlds part one to two is probably I think that two part is one of like that could be my favourite yeah so three and three to four then yeah it is unfortunate that series seven the last one was I mean, it was unquestionably a downgrading quality. Oh, really? A lot of the good writers have gone over to DS9. Um, many of the worst episodes of TNG are in season seven. Oh, wow. Which is a shame. A Apart from the, that finale. The finale. Oh, no, a few great moments. I mean, always mm. great moments because, you know, it's like a, it was a sausage factory at this point. They're churning out so <laughs> much. And, mm, yeah. But episodes like Masks and uh, Sub Rosa. I mean, yeah. Sub Rosa. You could argue and say it's the worst episode of television ever made. There's one where there's um, it's like they go to a planet and you know how every planet is like themed. And so this is a planet, but everyone is transsexual. This is a planet. <laughs> this one is a planet where everyone is Irish. <laughs> <laughs> And it's where all the Irish people went in the Federation. <laughs> yeah. It's a mass party. <laughs> and basically, long story short, it's a ghost story where Gates McFadden gets yeah. haunted. Bostonia, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and she can't, they, there's a weird sort of sex scene between her and a sort of ghost, but obviously it isn't a ghost. And it's a, right. it's yes, a I real misfire. It's a real misfire. I remember liking this one. So, so it's, it's, it's kind of like the gender you write something. Like, it's like, like yeah. she's like almost like fulfilling that kind of Victorian governess vibe. Yeah, yeah. It's a bizarre This does come up in the the Honest trailer for Star Trek Next Generation came up. So I do hear this. Oh, really? It just kind of goes... Oh, and there's an episode where somebody fucks a ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, but I you, think but all I, the I, things I, yeah. it stands out because they did bring back Brandon Bargram D. Moore for the yeah. finale to write it. So yeah, I would yeah. recommend people watch even the bad ones because I've gone back and watched bad ones that I remembered as being bad and they turned out to be amazing. So there was one where Data gets a girlfriend. And yeah. that's the whole episode. Nothing happens in the story. It's yeah. just Data gets a girlfriend. And I remember watching on TV going, Data gets a girlfriend. I'm just like a, like, a, like a teenage boy going, that's stupid. Data yeah. shouldn't have a girlfriend. Ugh. Oh, gay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, then, but then I watched it, rewatched it recently and it's, and it's got a really lovely ending where you realise he just can't do it. Yeah. Like he just doesn't but have even that part of his brain yet. Yeah. Well, techniques. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if anything, <laughs> if anything, O'Brien should have been watching him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I would agree because I do think one of the, the best thing about this show and probably the reason it's got such longevity um, is even though it's 26 episodes and a lot of those episodes would be mediocre just by the nation of, but by the nature of producing TV I do think the characters are so good or at least the, the, there is such a good feeling about the show that it just elevates even even sort of lesser scripts are elevated and they become 
yeah, at least watchable. You, you, you which, become, yeah. you love the characters. I think yeah, by yeah, that yeah. by that time, you know, they've got like a following, uh, yeah. like the original series got. You know, you kind of could watch them in anything. Yeah, and yeah, just yeah. Enjoy the dynamic, and you know, you could even watch them in the Final Frontier and enjoy it. So it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shots fired. Better than Nemesis. Fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And out by our final ranking. Yeah, better than Insurrection, mate. Come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go Nemesis for that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's it. You can enjoy them on an off day. Mm, it's just mm. a day at the office with the next gen crew, and you just want to be. Oh, oh God, now I can't even say it on the air. <laughs> you want to be part of it? Yeah, I do as well. <laughs> Nerds! <laughs> well, we do have Star Trek. What well, are you trying to say? <laughs> you are Wesley Crusher. You want to be. <laughs> but say, like, I don't want to be Wesley Crusher. I just want to be on, you know, on that ship. Like, just uh, yeah. Shout me, Picard, please. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a good episode like uh, called Row. I think it's where you see Ensign Row. Yeah. Or is it below decks or something? Or there's one that just focuses on some crew members. Lower decks. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it, you pick four people, uh, I don't know, just friends who work on the Enterprise, and you see it from their point of view, and occasionally the main crew come into it and sort of their interactions. I thought that's great, you know, because that was mm. something they didn't really attempt anywhere else in the show. Um, yeah. That's a great. That there is a big crew maybe. on the ship. Yeah. yeah, that's also a great example of a season seven zinger. <laughs> that is, that is yeah. in that in the sort of up and down series. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I get the theme. We all enjoyed Darmok as well. Yeah. Uh, so the big takeaway from this is whether really Matt and I are going to want to watch more TNG mm. afterwards because Paul is definitely already sold. <laughs> uh, Matt, will you be watching more TNG? Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll do what I've been doing the original series since we did the episode which has been cherry picking some episodes to do I mean this is the great thing about episodic TV you can jump around it's not like <gasps> seven seasons I got to start from the first and I got no mm. choice so <laughs> a lot of the ones that you guys have been mentioning I'll definitely check out and, and there is a really great list uh, Empire Magazine did a 50 greatest Star Trek episodes mm. which encompass every series so I went through that and picked out the ones from the series that are in there and I'll do the same for this probably uh, yeah plus the ones that I mentioned so I will jump around I don't know how much you know how much time it would take because I, I I was really focusing on getting into the original series a lot. So I'm like, uh, part of me was like, oh now this is going to come along and like take battle for time. But um, I'll see how they pair up when they're mm. viewed simultaneously. We should mention that our guest in the last episode, David Trumbull, um, actually sent us his cherry pick list of best episodes of original series mm. through season one, two, three. Um, so, guys, if you've got any recommendations, feel free to send them our way. 100%. Um, I'll also probably be doing the same thing uh, with this one. This is kind of probably the last... Your primer to the universe, yeah. It's a good, good route to take if you enjoy these. Then, yeah. yeah, I think so. I think with original series, I've kind of, you know, been picking ones out, going chronologically, but... Um, picking particular yeah. ones out as I go um, I'll probably do a similar thing with TNG of course next month we'll be talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine I think that's going to be slightly different as that's really the first Trek series to go more arc heavy uh, so it'll be interesting to discuss that um, with our guest Alice Farrant uh, next Does that month. mean we have to watch three connected in a row to get that sense of it? <laughs> well, we'll, we'll see what she, she picks out. I don't know. Uh, Sean, did you have something you were going to mention about Gene? Yeah. Well, I did have a thing I just sort of, because it's easy to dismiss Roddenberry a little bit, because it's, every time he gets control of the purse strings, it goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, um, obviously, we've talked about he was he has such a dogmatic approach to everyone getting along and there not being any conflict within the crew and it's not a coincidence I think that TNG 
got much better when he was not in control of the show. Mm. Like after series two, he kind of, I think he was too unwell and other people took in and then the show got better. But I also think, and feel free to disagree with this, I think the idea that to do a, a follow-up to an original show, which is a big hit, you know, Star Trek at this point is getting big ratings on syndication. It was never that big at the time, but it grown into a thing. And to do that and to say, we're going to do it a hundred years after all the things you know, we're going to completely change the makeup of the crew. We're going to change the design. You know, none of those people are going to be in it, and it's not even going to be a similar feel. Um, I think that's really quite uh, visionary. Mm. <laughs> I genuinely think the guy, as much as he would overreach occasionally and go too far, I think he was he, he was a, he had such faith in his world that he'd created, and he said, "No, we can go further ahead. We can do this, and and still have great stories." And I also think he really understood characters. I'm t- I feel nervous. I've been wanting to say this for years. <laughs> I think he had such an understanding of how to build characters. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Next Generation and the original series are the, the two series which have genuinely iconic characters. Mm. I don't think any of the other series have got characters as good. Certainly not human characters. I think maybe the non-human characters are, are very good. Um, and I just wanted to say that. Gene, as much as people maybe think you were limited it, mm. this is your thing. And I think... Uh, I think he did a great job, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think that. Yeah, yeah. Here, here. I think that's fair to say, and I think TNG is really interesting, as it's kind of almost half sequel, half remake, isn't mm-hmm. it? In the sense of it feels like essentially, in many ways, a completely different kind of show to original series, and then those other ways, a really similar show in terms of there's no there's no twist, like there's no Deep Space Nine. Oh, now it's on a space station. Yeah, yeah. There's no Voyager. Oh, now they're kind of projected seventy years away from other people or whatever. Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, it's just basically the same idea, but done in the future, and therefore yeah. everything is kind of moving forwards and forwards of a show. I think it might Poss- be the first time it's so anyone's Twilight ever brought a show. Twilight Zone, yeah. <coughs> Twilight Zone. I, 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 but also, he, I mean, to do it again, but he always said at the time there were things we got wrong in the original, and I want to, I want to mm, get it right. right. And yeah. it would be so easy for him to just go, no, this was the greatest thing ever. I created Star Trek, mm-hmm. I'm a genius. But actually, I think it shows a lot of humility. Well, he was, pla- yeah, he yeah. had pressures from the networks in the 60s, and so he had to play within kind of the constructs of the time. Mm-hmm. So we could only push it so far, obviously. So I think this is a bit more open. Still mm-hmm. not quite, it's still never, if you made this now, almost like it'd be interesting to see Gene Rodney's like, rebooting another show now and see what he could mm-hmm. do with no constraints. Well, this is what bugs me about, uh, as much as I'm enjoying Star Trek Discovery, yeah. why are we not still going 100 years further into the future? It's not like we're done with yeah. time. Yes. Like, we could go 100 years after Picard. We're always moving forwards. That's what's so optimistic about the show. Why are we backwards? Because they want to go back to the militarism. They want to go back to the Klingon War. And yeah. that's what everyone's obsessed with in today's culture. Yeah. And they I don't... really want to see the Clone Wars. I could, I could really want to see <laughs> them. Many shows are going to do about yeah. Clone Wars, because that's yeah. what I've always wanted to see. <laughs> but that's, that's, you know, that's, if Roddenberry was alive, I think that's what we would be doing. I think yeah. it's probably mm-hmm. his deranged nuts <laughs> singular vision yeah. was so persuasive. I, I mean, think, yeah, you know. we've never seen it 100%, 100% unleashed, and that would be what we'd be getting now if it was the case. But yeah, you're right, yeah, it's yeah. probably network executives going, we need to ground it enough in original Star Trek. You know, yeah. we have to have conflict code Klingons, you've got to have all that. You know, so I think it's uh, it's they're playing it a little bit safe, except the characters are able to kind of be a lot more kind of expressive and uh, yeah. Um, well, we've it's never done again, is it? Because TNG, DS Nine, and Voyager 
are all essentially set at the same sort of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, because even in Nemesis, there's a conversation between Picard and Janeway mm-hmm. um, on the, the communicator. So essentially, we never do that again in terms of going deep into the future. Yeah. Mm. No, it's. Um, I bet I do feel like next gen, like more than the other, than the original series, actually gives me a sense of like the galaxy and where you, you kind of really get a sense of political situation. Really, you're really aware of where this universe is and feel like there are star bases. You really believe that they're yeah. the lines mm. are drawn here yeah, and this yeah. is you've got it, it really works well, and also, that's why it goes really good in DS9 you can mm. say I, I understand where this is now yeah, yeah. Well, so if you were to study all the series of Star Trek you are literally looking at progress in that there's a, a there's a all the humans are together in the first series there's a there's a Vulcan on the bridge which is kind of weird and unheard of and then in Next Gen there's a Klingon on the bridge and that's a bit weird and then in DS9 a Quark's nephew becomes one of the first Ferengi to join the Federation mm. so it's like the fact that you want to go back in time is like you want to go against progress like I want to see Cardassians you know I want to see the the Dominion the people they were fighting in the DS9 the big war yeah. that everyone loved so much yeah. you know and that's <laughs> when the show got better was when it became yeah, really yeah. dark and they started killing people and stuff and it's like okay great rest in peace G uh, you know <laughs> but like, I'd love to see I'd love to see where we are in the future because it's you're literally looking at social progress in a you know future that hasn't happened yet yeah. and, and the, 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 this series was apparently in development made by unfortunately Brian Singer who now will never get it made for whatever reason <laughs> <laughs> but it was called I think it was just called Star Trek Federation and it was set a few years afterwards and it was meant to be about the decline and then rebirth of the entire Federation mm. uh, what a great idea yeah but um Hey, people <laughs> as ambitious as Gene Roddenberry are, probably aren't around that much they don't come along yeah. that much so. yeah yeah um, Okay, well, that's been a really, really great discussion about TNG uh, today. Guys, Steve, can you tell us where we can find your stand-up work? Or? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen Trumbull, and I've just uh, got the Facebook page up, so that's at Trumbull Comedy, and you can see clips there. Oh, and okay. I'm always posting about when I'm performing in London. So uh, there'll be at least three times a week you can probably see me in London. Yeah, you gig fairly regularly, yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah. Like, I'm building up to that hour. Yeah. Point. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sean, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter uh, at Sean McLaughlin. I've got a Facebook page again. Just type Sean McLaughlin and you'll find it. Um, I'm releasing uh, that recording that I did ah, a okay. few months ago, I think at the end of February. Uh, it'll be on my website, which is www.seanmclaughlin.com.au dot com is that it or is it comedian <laughs> I don't know follow <laughs> the link in the episode description shawmcglocklincomedy.com yeah. and the website is being updated probably within the next two days it'll be up oh so, awesome and so this is a recording of the show that I went to see that was yes, earlier. yes and that'll be getting released um both halves and then maybe another older show that I've got a recording of as well so, awesome yeah, yeah definitely yeah. check it out guys it's really really good um, you can find us on Instagram Facebook Twitter at Spotlight Pod uh, you can also rate and review us at iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode it'd be great if you could do both those things I would really really appreciate it um, anything else to say? Uh, yeah, and just you know, PM us your like next gen episode recommendations. Oh yeah, send them right do. to Matt. Like you know, <laughs> yeah, have yeah. a reading list. Yeah, no, hundred percent. If you've got, uh, I mean, if you disagree with the episodes that Stephen Sean have picked out today, if you think they're the wrong episodes, <laughs> to pick, by all means, 
come at us on uh, Twitter. But you can only do it in metaphor. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Kanye and Swift at the VMA. <laughs> so yeah, we'd be really interested to hear what episodes you would have picked as well. Next month, we'll be discussing Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This is, yeah, this is uncharted territory for me a lot. Yeah, yeah, very. I mean, I have seen a bit of it, so it would be interesting what gets picked. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, so, for now, it's goodbye from me, Liam. Goodbye from me, Matt. And me, Paul. And goodbye from our guests. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you so.